message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, some of you will know that we have a long-standing partnership with RUF at the University of Texas San Antonio. RUF is our denominational campus ministry. They're on about 150 campuses across the country. And back in 2017, some of you will know that we planted Trinity Grace Church in conjunction with planting a new RUF campus ministry at UTSA. And over the past few years, we have had the privilege and the honor of having Lee and Sarah Wright and their family here with us, serving the students on that campus. And this morning, we also have the privilege of having Lee uh, with us this morning to continue our series in Ecclesiastes. Lee, you can come on up. Um, He's going to be leading us through a consideration this morning of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And next week, uh, we'll continue that series through the end of August. But Lee, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, Thanks for preaching for us. What's up, everybody? How we doing? Um, Hey, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 15 verses this morning, Ecclesiastes 3. Um, I have been away for probably the last eight weeks preaching at different churches, so it's really nice to be back here and, uh, and to get to spend some time with you and to get to share with you from Ecclesiastes uh, 3. If, if you'd be mindful of this, in the next five weeks, uh, students will be returning to UTSA, so pray for them as they're preparing uh, to come back to campus or to come to campus for the first time. Um, and just pray for our ministry. One of, the, one of the real joys of our ministry this year is uh, the number of international students that have come into our ministry. And uh, one of the ways that we've been able to interact with them is through food, uh, which is always really fun in campus ministry. But uh, many of them have made their own food. And so we've been able to enjoy the cuisine of five different continents uh, this year in 2023. So it's been really cool to get to uh, partake in fellowship, but also to get to, um, to, get to eat some of, this, some of the food from these places. So uh, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3, and I'm going to read the first 15 verses um, of this chapter. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does 
endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is uh, to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Um, We pray that you would give us clarity to these words that might be familiar to us. Um, We pray that you would help us uh, to know you better, to understand your way, um, to be convinced that you are in control, that we are not, and that that would give us some comfort and some hope today. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, live my life one season at a time. I think that that could probably be said for all of us, right? Uh, that we have different seasons that we live into, uh, but ours seem pretty stark in our family with kids ages 10, 8, and 6, because it, it's as though every uh, sports season kind of has its own demarcation. Uh, I've had the privilege of coaching all of my kids in different sports and being able to walk with them through uh, the different sports. And, uh, and, and, you know, there are highs and there are lows, and you go through all of the different seasons. Uh, and, and I remember hearing uh, a friend, an older friend, who was at uh, one of our, uh, at our prior church in Orlando, and uh, particularly when we had younger kids, would say, this is a really sweet season, even though it seems really hard. So take advantage of it. I had bags under my eyes because I was so exhausted from my kids being up late at night. Uh, and it felt like that season just went on and on and on and on. And you were just perpetually tired. Um, and in campus ministry, our seasons can be really short. Uh, one of the interesting things about serving at UTSA is that about 3,000 students come uh, to UTSA with the hope and the desire to transfer to UT Austin the very next year. They look at UTSA as kind of a gap year, a stopping point uh, to make sure that if they pass their classes, if they do well enough and the standards aren't super high for them, um, and if they get enough good recommendations from faculty that they can move on to the place that they really want to be, which is UT Austin, unfortunately. Um, And we would love for them to be there, but that's just a reality that we have to live into. Uh, this, this year, in fact, we had a number of freshman students who were involved in our ministry, and I think only a quarter of them are actually coming back for their sophomore year. But there is a season for that. There's a season for them to be part of RUF at UTSA, for them to be in our lives, for them to be in our homes. We just wish that it wouldn't only be nine months, that it would be a little bit longer. And so all of us live into seasons. And, and as we hear uh, this poem that the author of Ecclesiastes, most likely Solomon, is telling us is that there are seasons for everything. So I think today is a good time for us to reflect on what those seasons are. But more than that, I want you all to think about how little control you've had over the seasons of your life and also how you have no idea what's to come. You could imagine what the next season of of life would be like. I can imagine what next fall, which is coming up very quickly, will be like, but I truly have no idea what it's going to be like. And the reason for that is that God knows what's going to happen. 
And we are simply participants in that story. And this, this poem that's the first eight verses of this chapter are something that was put into a pretty famous uh, peace hymn uh, by the birds in 1964 as a, as a way to say, we need peace right now. Um, but if you read this, this uh, poem, you see and you hear that there's also a time for war as well as a time for peace. That wasn't meant to justify anything about what happened with the uh, Vietnam War, but, but, but in essence, if we look at it from a secular point of view, we can see it that everything is going to happen for a reason, that all of this will happen for a reason. But honestly, what that leads us to are the things that, that we have talked about the past two weeks at Trinity Grace, which is meaninglessness. We're going to feel kind of hopeless and feel like life doesn't really matter. But I want to encourage you in this, that Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is actually incredibly hopeful. Because rather than just leaving us with meaninglessness and helping us to see the vanity of the world, there's actually a ton of hope here. We see a God who longs to connect with us and longs to let us know that he is in control and that he loves us. Okay, so three things today, the poetic reality of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, what it means to live out of control, and, and thirdly, that God is at work in time and that he is ultimately in control. So the first thing is this, the poetic reality. Um, if, if you read through this and you begin to, be, begin to unfold it, you see that there's some patterns here of some highs and some lows of life. Um, that each one has its contrasting thing, right? The, at the very beginning in verse two, there's a time to be born and a time to die, the beginning and the end of life, a time to plant, the beginning of putting a seed down, and a time to pluck up what is planted. And then you see a reversal in each of these. And so there's, uh, th- there are these contrasting things about life. And we all know, if you've lived any time in uh, in this world, that, that this is the reality of what life is, that it has the beauty and the brokenness, as we would say theologically in the Christian world, that there, are, there, there is good and that there is bad, that there are beautiful and there are difficult things that happen in life. I love for us to think, to think of it this way. Solomon, who's most likely the writer here, and let's just assume that he is, he is the king of Israel, he is looking out into this land. He doesn't necessarily have a job where he's having to go day to day. And so he, and, and God grants, his, grants him wisdom and gives him this, this ability to look out into this whole world and to see all of these things that are happening. And in doing so, he is able to see that all of life is made up of this, that there is beauty and brokenness, there is in-between. Um, and, and that is just what it means to live in this world. There's a poetic genius, and, and there's even a thought that he may have borrowed this from someone else. It's not clear, but based on what we know that he wrote in Song of Songs and in Proverbs, we can probably assume that, that, that Solomon was actually the author and was trying to give us a sense and, and a picture of what it means to live in the world with gains and losses, with beauty and brokenness. 
I spent three years as a counselor in St. Louis, Missouri, before going into full-time ministry. And one of the things that I picked up on um, and that I've tried to continue uh, in ministry is to emphasize that loss and grieving is not a bad thing. That it's not bad to grieve and to mourn something that has happened, that has been sad, that has been hard, uh, where there has been loss in your life. But we hate this as Americans. We want to move on quickly from things. We want to distract and numb. We don't like to mourn. We don't like to feel sad. And I think part of the reason for that is that we want to be productive. We want to be efficient. We want life to move in, in, in a way that we can honestly be in control of and to not have to be distracted by something like sadness. Um, one of the things that the mid-20th century author Virginia Woolf put uh, is this way. She said, growing up is losing some of the illusions in order to acquire others. And as it applies to this in particular, we have this illusion that things are going to be good, that things are just going to work out the way that they should. Uh, and ultimately, that we can have some kind of control and that it's all going to turn out well. But over time, we realize that sometimes there's just sad seasons, that sometimes things are going to go unsaid, that loss happens, uh, that people die unexpectedly way too young. Um, and so we, we need to be equipped and understand that this is not just simply part of life and to, and, and to shrug it off as that, but to understand that, that God is with us, that he actually superintends what is happening. And he's not simply doing it from a distance. Um, we hear, and, and we can have that picture if we look at verse one in a particular way. It says that there, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And if we view it as God is in the clouds and he's just looking over everything that's happening from a distance, that's how we can see it. But we need to understand, as, as we've heard from some of the other readings, that God is actually very, very intimately involved with his people. He wants to be with them. He longs to be with those who are grieving. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, Jesus says, not simply as a future tense. That's the, that's the ultimate reality but that they will also be comforted in the here and now by a God who longs to be near to them. So that is uh, this poetic reality. The second is living out of control. In verses 9 through 13, now I'm going to try to condense this. This is sort of a so what for life. A so what for all of these things, that there are these highs and these lows. And, And again, if we just simply leave at the poetic reality we don't gain the full picture. We just get this sense that life has beautiful things and broken things. And that's just not enough. That is not nearly enough. And so in verse nine, Solomon says this, what gain has the worker from his toil? And if you've been around the past two weeks, you've heard vanity, meaninglessness, 
But here's what, here, here's what Solomon says. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So he's looked out again and seen what, what, what God gives to his children. And he says this in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity into man's heart. He, he longs for us to understand that God actually makes everything beautiful in its time. God does not excuse all tragedies, nor does he think that it's beautiful that, that bad things happen to good people. That is the wrong interpretation of this. Out of a mess, God makes beauty. Out of messy things, out of messy people, God makes beautiful things. Out of things that seem completely out of control, God makes beauty. Easter of 2011, um, my wife Sarah and I were preparing food for uh, a friend feast. I think that's what it was called at that time. Uh, In our St. Louis apartment, I was relaxing in this tiny apartment and I heard this loud crash and bang and all of this stuff come out. And I jumped out of the slumber to see that Sarah was actually pinned against the wall with our two cabinets against her. Um, they had fallen off of, of our wall. And with that, I, fortunately, she didn't have any, any major injuries. She had a couple of um, scratches, but all of our coffee cups and plates and pretty much everything that we had owned as a young married couple were smashed into pieces. Um, it, was, it was a really crazy incident. As we cleaned up, we realized that there were actually some really beautiful pieces as part of uh, what had been broken. And one of Sarah's close friends at the time uh, was a woman who did this amazing mosaic art. Um, and so she, she came over to our house and helped us piece together uh, some pieces of art. And one of our favorite things that we actually still have in our home, so if you ever come over to our house, you, you should see this, is a mirror that we have that is framed on the outside with all of the broken pieces. And it's one of my favorite things to look at in our house, uh, in part because it reminds me of the beautiful things that we had that were once lost, but it is just a really wonderfully attractive thing to see that like through all of these broken pieces, there was something beautiful that was made. There was a mosaic that was made through the really tragic thing that happened of us losing probably thousands of dollars of, um, of pottery and things like that, God made something beautiful in it. That's the picture of, of verse 11, that God makes beautiful things out of brokenness. It is not that God uh, will, will create something good out of the pain that you've experienced, but through the pain, because, of, because God is a gracious God and he loves us, he will create beauty. And let me tell you this, that is a supernatural idea that we cannot begin to wrap our minds around. But what we can do, like any beautiful piece of artwork, is to enjoy it and to appreciate it and to love it and to praise God for what he has done in and through us. So we can look to God knowing that he creates beauty out of us and out of um, difficult things. 
Let's look uh, for, at, at the last two verses here, um, that God is at work in time. So again, he creates beauty. He, he puts this, um, he makes this beautiful poetic idea for us. But then there, there's something even more important here. That God actually create that, that God is at work in and through time. God is in control of what's happening. I think this is one of the most important things that I have grown to love and to appreciate being in campus ministry, being in pastoral ministry, is that God is truly in control, that he knows what is happening, that his work is constant, and that his work endures forever too. Though we live in a world where there are both good and bad things happen, as David Gibson says in his commentary, in Ecclesiastes, we don't just roll with the punches. Instead, what we do is that we honor God and we know that he is the one who superintends, loves, and directs and designs all things. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. It's almost like this artist who has done this beautiful, amazing work that we are able to, to witness and to see. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. I want you to be encouraged by those last words here, that God seeks what is driven away. And I hope for some of you, you have this picture of this God who superintends all things to happen, according to his way, but also that you are reminded of the picture that Jesus desires for us to see uh, of, of who our God is, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the one who is longing to go after the one sheep that has gone lost, that he longs to be with his people. And we see it over and over in scripture that God's character is, is to long after and to be with his people, to care for them, to tend uh, to them, to love them. He longs to keep them, and God is at work all the time. All the time. And I love this consistency in the Bible, this idea of, of God being re, um, referred to as a shepherd in creation, but also in our daily life, because it gives us freedom to be, to, to be honest with him, uh, to be near to him, to not be scared of him, to know that he is, he is pursuing us and he longs to be near to us. I love, and, and maybe even for this week, I want y'all to consider and be pondering and even pray aloud this prayer, God seek what has been driven away. Maybe that's something uh, that, that you would want to pray for a child or for a neighbor or for someone who has run away from the faith or, has, or is running away from God. May this be a prayer for you this entire week so that you can have some semblance of comfort to know that God isn't just far away, that he is actually very near, that he longs to be near to his children. And as a church, what if we believe that? What if we believe that God constantly wants to bring in those who have gone away from him? 
I know for my life, for my family's life, it would actually give us great comfort. It would make us also not feel like we have to be in control of everything. Maybe not be as frustrated with simple little things that happen. And as we close, I want us to uh, not simply focus on the functionality of who God is and how he's in control, but that he is a good God who longs to be near to us. And I, it, I would be remiss if I weren't to say that this is the beauty of, of God sending Jesus into this world to be that, that uh, good shepherd, but also the high priest that we needed. The one who took on the sin of the world, who brought us back to himself, who literally came into this world as a baby, who took on flesh, who lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, engaged in our own trials, long for us to know that he understands what it is to be in a broken world and that he was raised again from the dead and that he is sitting and interceding on our behalf. He lets us know that it's okay that we're not in control because he is. He is near to us. He longs to be near to us in our lives. Let me pray for us this, this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, this time to reflect on your control. I pray that you would give us peace as we, um, as we enter into this week, knowing that, um, that there might be things that are really hard and difficult or sad or even good. Um, but Father, to know that you are always in control, that you love us, you long to be near to us. Father, I pray that you would give us um, a sense of peace as we leave from here. Um, give us prayerful hearts who long to rejoice in you and long to be near to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.